Well, here we are at the end of 2018. It doesn't seem possible that another year has come and gone already. And it's just as hard to believe that almost 16 years ago, on March 9th, 19, or excuse me, 2003, Four Corners Baptist Church called me to be their pastor. I was humbled then, and I'm still humbled today that God would choose to use a man like me to care for and lead his people. Four Corners Baptist Church started as a mission of First Baptist of Kissimmee. And uh, in, in April of 2000 was their first service, and constituted we constituted to become a church, an incorporated church, in February of 2002. Some of us were trying to remember how many years we know each other. I thank God for the vision that he gave the mission team of First Baptist Kissimmee so many years ago, that a church was needed out in the Four Corners area. And we have the privilege this morning of having two of those original people with us today in worship. Many of you may know them, but if you don't, let me introduce Pat and Paul Sham. There she is. There's Pat. They were on the mission team when the vision was cast. And also, I want to let you know that Pat and Paul Sham were our very first missionaries that we commissioned and sent out from Four Corners to full-time mission work. Now, I heard God's call to full-time service as a pastor in March of 2002. And after sharing that call with uh, Pastor Rick Ergel, who was our original pastor, I started my seminary training. My first two classes in seminary were Old Testament survey and then expositional preaching. You see, because everything I had ever done before that lasted an hour, and it was a Sunday school class. And I'll never forget the first night in class. I had paid $390 per class. This is the first time in a long time I've been back in school. And uh, this six-foot-five man with this booming, commanding voice entered the room and my life and has been my friend ever since. Some of you may know him. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Robert White, my mentor and friend. We've been in ministry and serving the Lord together ever since. Now listen, I will say that some of the most precious times in my life have happened while being the pastor here. But I'll also tell you this, that some of the hardest, most trying times have also happened here. But here's the beauty of it. God has always been faithful. And he never changes. Amen? He has brought this church, his church, through some deep waters. And he will continue to bless and keep her. He's faithful that way, you know. Today marks the changing of leadership and the passing of the leadership baton here at Four Corners Baptist Church. You know, in running a relay race, runner number two has his eyes on runner number one. And runner number one provides the target. Now, once runner number two grabs the baton in his left hand, he then places it in his right hand, So he's ready to pass it on to runner number three. 
and so on and so on until the final runner crosses the line and the race is complete. See, life is typically a long-distance race that is truly never run alone. There have been many that have gone before us. There are many that have run with us. And yet still others will run long after we're gone. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He said, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, who is this great cloud of witnesses, you might ask? I believe the writer is, is, is actually saying they're Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel, the prophets, the disciples, the apostles. And I believe he's even saying it's Jimmy Shaw and Evelyn Nunes and Dexter Hagman and Becky Perales, and Sharon Jerzak, and George Kopp. They've all run the race before us. See, the race I'm speaking of this morning is the race of fulfilling God's will, which is to see that every boy, every girl, every man, and every woman comes to know and has the opportunity to either choose or refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's will that all men know him will not be completed until the Father says so, and he sends his Son to come and get his saints. So our work here is not done till he comes to take us home. Amen? Well, why must we pass the baton? You know, over the years, I've heard many seasoned and mature Christians say, well... We've done our time. Our work is, is through, and we're really not needed anymore. So, so now we can sit back a little bit and relax. And often, sadly, they hold on to their baton, and they don't pass it on. I believe the most valuable batons that must be passed on are the batons of experience, endurance, and knowledge. My dear friend, Robert White, always ended our phone calls with persevere. There's something to be said about that, brother. You see, the experience that has been gleaned during this race, the endurance that's been developed in the trials and tribulations along the day-to-day walk with our master, and the knowledge of the pitfalls along the way, and the precautions to be taken during this long, hard race. Paul the Apostle said it this way in Romans chapter 5. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. You see, what Paul is saying is growing is ongoing and often painful. 
But without it, we won't or we can't develop the most important character qualities, and those are the qualities of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we look at the next generation, and we ask, what has happened to them? Lighten up. Come on, you're with me. You know who you are. You're looking at this younger generation. You go, what are they thinking? What has happened to them? And I know we often pick on the millennials and wonder why they act like they do. Well, I've been in a class on Sunday night with some millennials. And I got to tell you what, I've learned a lot more than they learned from me. You see, they've been cheated out of having good examples to teach them in our country. They, they've been cheated because so many of their parents want to be their friends instead of teaching them what the real race in life's going to be like. Their parents failed to pass the baton on. Seniors, mature Christians, parents, do not fail to pass the baton of experience, endurance, and knowledge to this next generation. They're dying to hear the truth. They want to know what's true. Listen to the wisdom of Paul the Apostle as he shared with young Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, Paul, Paul's pointing out to Timothy that his strong faith in the Lord had first been demonstrated to him by his grandmother and also his mother. They passed the baton of faith onto Timothy. So if we're to pass the baton of leadership, we must overcome certain fears. And, And where do we sometimes fail to pass this baton at? Well, I can tell you, we fail to pass it on in our homes. We fail to pass it on in our local assemblies. We fail to pass it on in our places of work. We fail to pass it on in ministry. There's a saying that says, those who cling to the baton drop it at death, having failed to pass it. Why do we have such failure to pass the baton? I believe it's because of fear. And I want to talk about just one fear. There's a lot of fears. But the fear of irrelevancy. The fear of irrelevancy. In Joshua chapter 5, we find Joshua outside of Jericho where he encounters the commander of the Lord's armies. He asks him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Well, the commander answered him, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. See, sometimes we want to know if God is with us 
in what we're doing when what we should be and need to know is whether or not we are with him and what his plan is. You know, you and I, brother and sister, we can do a lot of good things, but are they the best things? I'm so reminded of Jesus' favorite place to hang out in Bethany. Probably one of the best cooks that you hear about in the Bible. Her name was Martha. She loved to cook. She loved to cook for the master. And then her sister Mary just loved to sit at the master's feet. And Martha got upset. But see, what she was doing was she was cooking a meal for the master. That's a good thing. That's a, that's a thing that would be noble to cook a good meal for the master, the king of glory. But what did Jesus tell her? Martha, you're busy with many things. But Mary has chosen the best See, if you and I are living an existence that will end when we breathe our last breath, then we're not plugged into his plan. His plan is the baton passing plan. A plan for his glory and a plan for people from all around the world and every nation to one day gather around his throne. That's his plan. Well, let's further consider Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 11. The church in Antioch was flourishing. It was healthy. Things were going well. So what does Barnabas do? Sit back and enjoy the success? No. Barnabas went to Tarshish, a 300-mile journey. And it wasn't in a Corvette. Okay, 300 miles, he went to Tarshish to look for Paul. He then brings Paul back to Antioch and gets him involved. Now, in chapters 11, 12, and the first half of chapter 13, it's Barnabas and Paul. But in the middle of chapter 13, exact at verse 13, something changes. I'm kind of hoping you'll go home and read this. What happens? What happens? Paul comes to the forefront, and from then on, it's the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Well, what happened? The baton was passed. Barnabas was not afraid to release control. He was not afraid that the passing of the baton would make him irrelevant. Some also might look at the life of John the Baptist and think, well, when Jesus came on the scene, John kind of became irrelevant. But Jesus didn't think so. But listen to what John said first. He said this in John chapter 3. He said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mind is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. See, Jesus didn't think John the Baptist was irrelevant. Listen to what he said about John in Luke chapter 7. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. 
John had great significance, but he knew when it was time to pass the baton on. Listen, if you fear becoming irrelevant, you may possibly already be irrelevant. Now, what do I mean by that? If everything you and I do and are doing to serve God is not to bring him glory, then what we're doing is for the wrong reason, and it is irrelevant. Pastor Tony has taught us a couple things that I think are just as clear as a bell. God's will is that every man and every woman, boy and girl, know him. That's his will. So don't wonder what his will is for your life. He wants you to know him. And his purpose is to bring himself glory. He deserves it. He said, if you don't praise me, the rocks and the trees will cry out. Somebody's going to praise me. Because I'm God Almighty. Listen, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you have a baton to pass. I heard the prayer of this father up here, Dustin. God, not only have you saved my daughter, but I look forward to seeing how you're going to use her. See, I don't care if you're 10 or 99. You have a baton to pass. Tony passed the, 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 the baton to Dustin when he was young. Dustin passed the baton on to little Emily. And we look forward to see who you pass that baton on to, young lady. Sometimes, you know, though, we view the church as a holy huddle. You know, us four and no more. And it becomes a place for us to be encouraged, and that's it. And, and being encouraged here is important. That's why he told us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It is important to be encouraged, but that's not what the church is just for. See, the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan for blessing the world. He chose to reach the world through the church. We cannot look to the government for solutions. Can I get an amen? Amen. That was unanimous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The government... Cannot give you peace. The government cannot give you security. The government cannot give you truth. The government cannot be the solution. We, the church, are the solution. We are the solution. I want to share just a quick, great example of God's intention to use his disciples who founded the church to be the solution to a big problem. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, and Jesus is about to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Listen to what he told his disciples that day. Matthew 14, verse 16. Jesus said, They need not go away. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Don't ever estimate the value of five loaves and two fish in the hands of a young boy or girl. Amen? You feed them. 
Well, in a relay race, it's this round cylinder that you, you pass to the next runner. And in the race of life, it's making disciples who will be able to make disciples. It's the gospel. It's passing on God's truth and the life that goes on with it to the next generation. They must know there are hundreds of churches in this country that the doors are closed because we wouldn't reach to the next generation. And we wonder why they don't know. You know, the Great Commission, which is God's will, is about making disciples, making them in baptism, and molding them to observe all that the Lord has commanded. That's what the Great Commission says. And evangelism is not done till discipleship has happened. Hello. That's another thing that the church has made a terrible mistake at. We've courted people, got them saved, and then good luck. Or we put them to work before they had a chance to grow. That's kind of like marrying your bride and telling her, listen, honey, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. How would that fly, Doc? No. No. I remember Larry teased me when I first met him. He said, I told Toby that. And I said, no, you did not. I'm going to share some final words that Paul, the apostle, shared with young Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. Listen to this. Timothy, my dear son. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. That is, be empowered by walking with God, Timothy. You can't pass on to others what you don't possess. Verse 2, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Timothy You have received the baton. Now pass it on to others so they can pass it on to others. Amen. Verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Timothy. Stay focused on the author and the finisher of your faith and keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. It's so easy to fade. Got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 5. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Timothy. Stay true to the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't flower it up. Preach the gospel. Follow the rules. Verse 6. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Timothy, you must feed yourself first before you can feed others. And then verse 7, Paul says, think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you to understand all these things. So in closing, passing the baton, as we've been talking about it, involves and requires building relationships with people. Well, before we want to build a relationship with people, we want to care about people. 
And before we'll care about people, we've got to have the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ welling up in our hearts. If we're starving, we're not ready to share. I believe that's the number one reason the church in America is not sharing, because they're starving to death spiritually. Jesus chose 12 disciples to be with him for three years, and he saved the world in a weekend. How important is discipleship? See, in the context of a relationship, he molded them into godly servant leaders who would eventually turn the world upside down for God, excepting for one. Now, let me say one one thing the baton is not. Not our traditions. We've never done it that way. Well, maybe we should have. Stay with me. It's almost lunch. Maybe we should have. See, the rabbis of old had a saying, build a fence around the law. And the Pharisees did just that. And it irritated the daylights out of our Savior. They came up with their own laws and traditions supposedly to protect God's laws. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the same rut, making our traditions as sacred as the word of God. I've said this year after year after year here. The only thing sacred at this church is the word of God. If, 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 if something's not working, stop it and start something that is. Chances are, if we look to see what God's doing, it's working. And he wants us to join him. If you are a child of God this morning, God has given you the greatest baton of all. It's the baton of his Holy Spirit. We talked about that. He's given you the baton of his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to empower you, to impassion you, to give you wisdom, to give you uh, guidance, and to protect you. So I ask you in closing, will you pass that baton on or will you keep it to yourself? Amen. Today we end one chapter in this book called Four Corners Baptist Church. And we expectantly turn the page to the next chapter. You see, this story isn't finished. Now, the future holds the opportunity for many others to come to know the Jesus you and I know. That's what the future holds here. The opportunity for so many more to know. Let's pray together. I want us, all who are believers in this room, I want you to pray a prayer of dedication. Rededication with me and dedication. There's much work to do, and we cannot do it on our own. We can't even do it together. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we can do it. Father, I pray with your saints. We pray that you will renew that first love in us that Paul the Apostle talked about. That love, that joy, that happiness when we first came to know you. We just wanted to tell everybody about it. It's that love that I saw on little Emily's face in that smile. 
that tells us she knows Jesus. God, would you help us to get excited about you again? And as we move forward to tomorrow and the next day and the next day till you come, would you just impassion us, your people, with your love and to care? Because I have no right to tell the world that God so loved them unless I love them first. God, and I pray. I pray that you will work on our hearts. I know you have been and you will to make us a mighty threat to the prince of darkness in this area and around the world. Bless your people, Lord. Thank you for your people. Strengthen us in your spirit. Strengthen us together that others may come to know you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We're now going to observe the Lord's Supper. We have two ordinances in our church. One is water baptism, the baptism of believers, and celebrating. Some people would say observing the Lord's Supper. I like to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Yes, he died for us, but he's not in a grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. But he says, I want you to remember what I went through for you so you wouldn't have to do it. You see, God said, God the Father said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. Somebody had to die. And even if you said to me, well, I'll die for my sins, it's not good enough because you aren't perfect and neither am I. But he came, as we've just been celebrating, came as a baby boy, And he went through all that we go through, and yet he never sinned. And I'm so glad he didn't, because he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. Without that, we would still be as lost as we've ever been. But he remained perfect, and he literally came to die. That was his plan, and that was God's plan from the very beginning. Before the foundations of the earth were ever created, he he was the Passover lamb. 